America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And with the entire country, actually, I think eagerly celebrating the holiday of uh, Juneteenth, the uh, first real celebration. I mean, basically, the holiday was just recognized as a federal holiday a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago. So the very first time in 2021, not much going on. But here, businesses closed, uh, federal government uh, basically closed, a full federal holiday treatment. And what you see cutting across our political lines, let alone our racial lines, is a general acceptance and a desire to make the most of the uh, entire message of this particular day, which is liberation from slavery. Somebody who has actually been in favor of making Juneteenth a, uh, a true federal holiday for a long time. Juan Williams is a Fox News analyst. He is a regular columnist for The Hill. He is a former scribe for The Washington Post, and he's the author of What the Hell Do You Have to Lose? And let me uh, wish you, Juan, uh, a happy Juneteenth. Does, do you have a more specific greeting that would be appropriate? No, I think it's, uh, to me, it's like 4th of July. Uh, you know, you say happy 4th of July. I think both holidays are about, in my, my mind, you know, both about freedom. Uh, in the case of 4th of July, obviously freedom from the British monarchy. Uh, but in the case of Juneteenth, or Emancipation Day, as it was called before, in Texas, I think it's about freedom for all Americans, that we can say, you know what, this country continues to grow. Uh, we have had growing pains, but slavery, what some call the original sin of American life right at the inception, uh, that we have grown out of slavery, and we celebrate the idea that all men are created equal. That was our creed at the beginning. We didn't quite realize it, but then when we did, I think that was a moment of triumph. Yes, there's no doubt that that it was, and that um, that obviously there's a celebratory mood right here. And you know what? I, I think some of the hunger of that mood is is to find things on which Americans agree, because the political disagreements are so phenomenally harsh. The only advantage of those political agreements being so harsh is they show us that the racial uh, disagreements are much less consequential right now, don't you think? You know, that's an interesting take, Michael. I think that's right. You know, the the difficulty with so much that attends to the racial conversation in America has to do with people saying, well, wait a second, uh, you know, are you guys the liberals or the left? You know, you sort of start to identify blacks or Hispanics, but especially black Americans as on the Democratic side of the ledger, and you say, oh, well, wait a second, conservatives, white, male, and all that, and then suddenly you, you get these sharp, polarized political lines, and I think it leads to paralysis in terms of conversation, negotiation, compromise. When you take that away and you start to say, wait a second, there's so much we agree on, but also there's so much we disagree on. Let's talk about what we disagree on without, you know, putting the 
racial imprimatur on top of it that I think tribalizes the conversation, you know, exacerbates that tribalism. It's not good, not helpful. And in this moment, you could actually take it away and say, okay, so what are we disagreeing about? Well, it, it seems to me that's entirely appropriate. I mean, one of the big partisan disagreements right now has to do with this uh, uh, compromise on uh, firearms reforms uh, that looked like at one point it was about to pass the Senate. There were more than 10 Republicans who were in favor of it. And then uh, you have events like John Cornyn getting booed at the Texas Republican State Convention. Uh, do, you un do you understand what the core objection is to uh, red flag laws? Well, as I understand it, the fear is that it would become a slippery slope and that you would have a loss of due process for people who might uh, be brought before a judge. So the concern is that people who have legitimate rights to own a gun might lose it, and unfairly so. Uh, I don't think that, as it's written from what I can see, obviously we don't have the final legislation in front of us, but from what we can see so far, one, this is not a federal law. It's intended to f give added funds from the federal government to states that enact red flag laws, so states will be in charge. And secondly, that judges will be there to look at the facts of the case. That's why this is not going before some political body, not some panel or state-appointed board, but before judges, and the judges then will have to justify their ruling in writing. So I think that's a pretty high standard. But I understand the concern from people who are hardline gun rights supporters. Uh, I just think that we're in a moment where, given what we've seen in terms of these massacres, especially uh, these guns in the hands of very young people, people who just turned 18, maybe there was, this is a moment where we can have a conversation and we can both understandably make some compromise. I think that, you know, the people who are booing John Cornyn, I just think that's so regrettable. I think they don't want any, they don't want any compromise. They don't want any kind of change to the status quo. And I think that's just not helpful in this moment. I think that's going to be an explosive issue if you make it into that, because as we've seen in Buffalo and in Uvalde recently, massive death uh, from people who have handled guns irresponsibly. It's not good for anybody, gun owner or uh, someone who opposes gun rights. And I think if you look at the polling, gun owners overwhelmingly support red flag laws and background checks. Yeah, I mean, I... I haven't met an American yet who thinks it's a, a good idea for a an 18-year-old who is uh, isolated and playing uh, violent video games uh, all no. the time and letting out threats and uh, his anger and that that somebody like that should be able to get a uh, powerful weapon like an AR-15 and uh, and then use it on the same day. That, that, that's what's awful. so striking about these cases. Yeah. I mean, you know, why is it that someone like that, you at least, you know, you would think that somebody would say, why does this young man need that kind of powerful weapon of war? Why, the guy in Uvalde, my gosh, he bought 300-plus rounds. He bought, you know, an armored vest. I think the guy thought he was, you said, you know, playing video games, but I think you would have to question his mental stability.
Well, sure. I mean, sure, obviously. And the truth of the matter is that most gun deaths in America, and it's the overwhelming majority, are suicides. Correct. And, and part of the whole idea of a red flag law is if you have a relative, if you have a brother or an uncle or someone who you think is a threat to himself, and you suggest that he put his guns away or take his guns away, that's the whole idea is not just to prevent the next mass shooter at a school, but to prevent the next tragic case of uh, somebody who's suffering from depression and, uh, and, then, and then ends his life. Uh, speaking with Juan Williams of, of Fox News, uh, Juan, if, if, uh, do you believe we will ever come to some kind of consensus? And I'll take the answer if he can hang on. Uh, let's take the answer in the, the next little segment we have. But right now there's such bitter division about the election of 2020. Can we really approach the election of 2022 and the presidential election of 2024 without reaching some consensus in this country on the level of a fraud, if any, or uh, of where the election was delivered or stolen? We will get to that and more with Juan Williams of uh, Fox News and The Hill coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved Show, a pleasure to be joined by Juan Williams, uh, best-selling author, uh, leading political commentator, analyst on Fox News and in The Hill magazine. And Juan, uh, I, I was just stunned over the weekend. The, we were talking about um, John Cornyn, the senior senator from Texas, being booed at his state Republican convention. That same state Republican convention passed the following resolution about the election uh, of 2020. It said the uh, state party holds that substantial election fraud in key metropolitan areas significantly affected the results in five key states in favor of Mr. Biden. The state party rejects the certified results of the 2020 presidential election this is in our second largest state, Texas. And uh, the state party holds that acting President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was not legitimately elected by the people of the United States. Um, a lot of folks believe that, and not just in Texas. When, when and how do you think, Juan Williams, we will ever reach a consensus resolution on this issue? Well, I'm not sure there is a consensus to be reached, unfortunately. Uh, as you say, a lot of people believe this. I'm not sure that I would characterize it as a lot. What I'd say is true is that there's a significant minority of Americans and Republicans who believe this, and they exercise sort of out, you know, 
sort of incredible political influence as the activist of the Republican base at this moment, but even more so, I think they have the willing cooperation of people who not don't necessarily believe that to be true, know that they can watch what's going on in Washington from the hearings of the January 6th panel. They know that, I believe it's more than 50 courts have reviewed claims of voter fraud and found nothing actionable. They know that fellow Republicans like Bill Barr, the former attorney general, and others have said, you know, there's nothing there. They know that Mike Pence, not only a Republican, but a Trump Republican and a Trump vice president, said that it was not real. But what they sense is that this is who they are at the moment, that they are the opposition. They are Republicans, and they think they are Trump Republicans, and this is what they stand for, and they will go along with this illusion, this mirage, you know, some call it the big lie, but they'll go along because that's their identity at this moment. And you can't compromise on your identity. I can't ask you not to be Michael Medved, radio talk show host extraordinaire. I can't, can't do that. What are you going to do? How are you going to stop being you? And I think for that, some people, it's now, it's almost like a fashion. It's like, you know, their identity, their, their sense of self, so much is locked into it on a cultural level that you can't appeal to common sense and reason here because they, they just see it as I'm on Team Blue or Team Red, and that's who I am. Let me share something with you, and I've, I've been working on this this weekend, trying to figure things out while we were in the process of welcoming our, our new granddaughter. Um, Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. And uh, it, it, right now there's a lot of talk about finding a basis for prosecution of uh, Trump on criminal charges, on defrauding the United States, maybe even on seditious conspiracy on interfering with the federal process. It would be serious charges against the president. The reason I, I dread that is I, I suspect that if President Trump is prosecuted, it will even more allow him to play the righteous martyr role. And, uh, and then let's say you get a hung jury, which as I, seems to me an extreme likelihood. Wouldn't that be viewed by everyone as a confirmation of not by everyone, but by people who support President Trump as a vindication that shows that Trump was right? He's been right all along and just bake this idea of a stolen election, which is a horrible idea. It's a horrible reality. If God forbid it ever occurred. But uh, isn't that risk of going after prosecution and then Trump looking exonerated, isn't that worse than any other outcome? It's a bad outcome. Uh, no argument there. And I think we've seen this in terms of the impeachment trials, where he was impeached twice, but also not convicted by, you know, the jurors in the U.S. Senate twice. And why? It wasn't the Democrats, but it was a uniform vote, with the exception of Romney, in the U.S. Senate among the Republicans. And I think that's what you're talking about, Michael, is that there are some people who might say this is just too partisan. I think that's the reason. I don't think I know that's the reason that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has been hesitant to take action. And it's why lots of people in Washington have been pressuring Garland to say, why aren't you acting? Why are you such a scaredy cat if someone has broken the law? And now we see a majority of Americans say on the basis of the January 6th panel's findings 
that it's clear that Trump committed a crime, and so the Justice Department should go after him in the way that they go after any thug standing on the street or any Wall Street, you know, white-collar criminal. Why are you letting uh, a former president go free? But it's the political messaging of going after someone in the prior administration that would make us look like a banana republic to some eyes, and even and worse... Because he'll continue running for president. I mean, he, right. he isn't legally prevented from running for president if he's under indictment, is he? No, but if he's convicted, he would be, yes. That's right. Yeah. Well, even even if he is convicted of those crimes, if he were removed from office through impeachment, I, I, is there statute law that says that a convicted felon can't uh, can't run? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't. I thought that you couldn't run for elected office if you were a convicted felon. I know you can't. No, if you're if you're convicted in impeachment, if you're impeached and thrown and then removed by the Senate, then you can't run for anything or hold any public office again. But uh, in any event, the 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 likelihood of of all of that happening, it it just seems the criminalization of our politics, the insistence that the other side is not just wrong, it's dead wrong, and it's criminally wrong. Uh, can we do something about that, Juan? Well, we can start talking, uh, and I think it's really, really important. I can't. I, and it's so it's so simple, but right now so difficult for people to put down all of the preconceptions and say, "Wait a second, uh, you know what? July Fourth is coming. We're all Americans. We have so much in common. You can see the dangers in the world if you look at someone like Putin, or if you look at the aggressive." posture that China is taking. And you say, you know what, this is a, I think, Michael, in the introduction, you said a blessed country. We are a blessed country. And I don't understand why all of us can't say, wait a second, even if we feel in any moment like we are aggrieved, someone stepped on our toe, we've got to stand up for America. And we've got to stop focusing on the sense of victimization and start focusing on the sense of glorifying America. Amen, my friend, and happy Juneteenth. Uh, I think standing up for America is something that's very necessary. A number of emails come in about the election, about Indian tribes, and more coming up on the Medved Show. From politics, from politics to pop culture, culture. Pure energy. and from coast to coast, your cultural crusader. Pure this is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, um, I benefit greatly from uh, emails that come in all the time. Sometimes emails, usually they're angry about something when pe people bother to write, but uh, uh, I'm grateful for them, and it's a reminder that uh, everybody listening to this show can uh, sign up to get a free newsletter, completely free, that has the latest movie reviews in it and uh, actually some of the articles that I uh, think are important that uh, others have written that uh, we haven't gotten to on the show. They're included. And uh, just go to michaelmedved.com and sign up for our newsletter, and you can also sign up for a MedHead uh, premium membership, which means that you have access to all of our history programs, 
uh, which is nearly a hundred of them about American history in some detail, not just in the passing review manner that I'm able to talk about uh, on a regular edition of the show, but all of that becomes available to you for free when you subscribe at the grand cost of 22 cents a day. Go to michaelmedved.com or to medvedhistorystore.com. Here's one that came in from Hawaii. It's from Herman. He says, Aloha, Michael. I'm trying to understand your argument when it comes to American Indians' land ownership rights. Didn't the United States acknowledge many American Indians' land ownership rights when we signed treaties with these tribes? Absolutely. And that's why we have reservations to this day. And didn't the United States break these treaties over and over and over again? Uh, what are you arguing? That our treaties were bogus and therefore we didn't have to acknowledge them? And uh, look, we did sign treaties. We did dishonor uh, those treaties fairly regularly, but almost always it was the result of some, uh, some fairly brutal episodes of uh, attacking people, attacking settlers. And again, in the treaties themselves, you could say the entire process was done by military force. I, um, I don't think the reservation system has been a great success. I don't think it's been a great success for Indians. Now, many people disagree. By the way, there, there's a, an Indian who wrote a, um, a letter to the Wall Street Journal, who's one of the custodians of her tribal history, and uh, was talking about how blessed she felt to be growing up on a reservation. But the idea that we spend a great deal of money on the uh, Indian Health Service, it, it comes to about 20000 per year per participant. It's a substantial investment. And the fact that uh, we have a Bureau of Indian Affairs. And look, a lot of that involved material in the bad old days or approaches in the bad old days, uh, like the systems of Indian schools where ours were not as abusive or notorious as what happened in Canada. But no one is saying that uh, America has been anything like blameless in terms of dealing with the native populations. It is just the idea, oh, and, and Herman, I, w I would advise you take a look at my book, The Ten Big Lies About America. The first big lie about America is that America is based on a program of genocide of literally trying to wipe out uh, the people who lived here originally. First of all, by, by anyone's standard, there is, are more native people living in the United States right now today than there were at the founding of this country. And uh, what people don't, I think, recognize sufficiently is how much the brutality of the warfare between and among native tribes held those cultures back and harmed people. And particularly some of the, the worst massacres involved one tribe against another. And sometimes the massacring tribes were aligned with the U.S. government. But uh, look, appreciate your your point and I think your point of view and and uh, question is is valid and obvious 
But no, I, I'm not saying that we should continue to abrogate tr treaties, and we actually have spent a great deal of money recently and a great deal of effort, and especially now with the first uh, Ind Indian American or uh, Native American, if you want, uh, Deborah Holland, uh, who is the first one uh, to hold the position of Secretary of the Interior, which deals with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, etc. Uh, there's also uh, this uh, that came in. Uh, it's from Frederick in Oak Harbor, Washington. He says, I couldn't understand why you keep stating on the air that you believe that there was no election fraud in the 2020 election. What, uh, uh, today on your show, you took a call from a caller in Mukilteo and asked why he believed there was election fraud. After all the judges that looked into it said there was none. And then you cut to a break before allowing his answer. I don't cut to a break. I don't decide when I go into breaks. They're hard breaks. And I was willing to go back to him, but we he, he decided not to go back. And I'll go back to anybody. What he says, the reason I believe there was election fraud is, number one, they stopped counting votes. Okay, not true. Give me one area where they stopped counting votes. All of those contested states have had audits. They have had multiple recounts. They have been looked at again and again. You say, number two, they wouldn't allow Republicans to view the counting. If you look at all of the fact-checking and all of the investigations, there is no place in the country where they have not allowed Republicans to view the counting. A lot of times it's applied to Fulton County, Georgia. And the the... The point about this is you have a Republican governor who's actively supporting Trump. You have a Republican secretary of state. And by the way, both of them just won their primaries again. They have every reason in the world to look at the election closely. And they have. And uh, Trump was close in Georgia, but it was a gap of 12,000 votes which is not nothing. It's, it's a, a much bigger gap than the 527-vote gap in Florida, where we all believe that George W. Bush actually did win. And uh, then you say, and both states' attorney generals, he said Arizona and Wisconsin conducted audits, and both states' attorneys general said that although there were enough anomalies, uh, they wouldn't decertify the election. Okay, you can't decertify election. There is no process for doing that. In other words, Joe Biden has been president. Uh, he's going to be president for two years coming up to next January. It's going to amount to two years. So it's been a year and a half. And there is no means to remove him from the presidency other than him being impeached and removed from office. There is no will or intention to do that. And this notion about him being, it's, it's incredibly bad for the country. And we've never had this before, where people refer to him as the acting president, as they just did in the Texas State Convention. And the idea that, uh, that, that this is going to be a, a major issue in the election coming up, this November, the more it's a major issue, 
I believe the more chance there is that the Democrats can compete. They shouldn't be able to compete because Biden has so far had a very failed presidency. And uh, and yes, you can say that there's this that he did and this that he did. But the point is to go back and fight out this election or the election of 2024 over the validity of the election of 2020. Don't most people feel an overwhelming sense to move on and try a different, maybe better approach? And on a day when it's a, a great day for the stock market, it's the best day we've had in, um, oh, in a while, it seems. It, uh, the stock market's closed today for Juneteenth, so we don't have to worry about any further elements of collapse. But the uh, one-time Treasury Secretary for President Obama, uh, former uh, aide to President Clinton, uh, somebody who was widely respected, particularly on the left of the United States, former president of Harvard, Larry Summers. Larry Summers had this to say, and uh, it's not tremendously encouraging about the immediate future and the U.S. economy. Uh, listen, this is clip six. I think all the presidents point uh, towards a recession, a recession, Chuck. There's always a first time for everything, and I don't want ever to make uh, forecasts with uh, certainty. But if you look at a whole range of indicators, if you look at what's happened in markets, if you look at the relative levels of interest rates of different rate durations, if you look at surveys of consumer uh, expectations, and if you look at the simple fact that what drives inflation is supply and demand, supply doesn't change that fast, and so mostly what you need to do to reduce inflation is reduce demand, and that is a very hard process to control, and so it usually leads to a recession. It did even for Ronald Reagan, who suffered a recession in 1982-83 when they were trying to break the back and ultimately very successfully of uh, the runaway inflation in that era. The uh, um, Joe Biden uh, disliked, uh, to say the least, this forecast uh, and the forecast of other economists that say that we are facing a prospect of a recession. Uh, this is a reporter who asked the question and the president's response. Clip three. Not the majority of them aren't saying that. Come on, don't make things up, okay? Now you sound like a Republican politician. I'm joking. That was a joke. Was a joke. But all kidding aside, no, I don't think it is. It's, uh, he's probably right that it is a majority of uh, economists are not predicting a recession. But uh, Larry Summers is pretty insightful and uh, credible source. And uh, this is an item of some dispute, as many things are with uh, economists. Uh, Margaret Brennan of CBS uh, put a big question 
to uh, the White House's Brian Deese, one of the president's chief economic advisors, on this claim that uh, the increase in the price of gas, the increase in inflation generally, is all because of Vladimir Putin. Uh, listen to her question. This is 11A. So I want to put up a, a chart of inflation here for our audience to see, um, measured by the Consumer Price Index. So from the beginning of the pandemic through now, and as you can see, the tick up began a good year before the war in Ukraine began. A number of economists, including at the San Francisco Fed, have said that the tremendous fiscal spending that went underway, the $6 trillion in two years, did add to that, including, as you can see right on there, the $2 trillion uh, that the Biden administration pushed through in the spring of, of 2021. So when people look at that and they say, well, the White House told us why, that inflation would be transitory. The White House told us we could go through with this kind of spending and we'd be fine. Even when Democrats within your own party were warning this would add to inflation. How do you win credibility here to the public and say this time we're not wrong? Okay, great question. And by the way, isn't it kind of encouraging to hear CBS asking that kind of rugged question of the White House? Here's the response. Well... It, you just have to look around the world today to recognize that the two principles that the drivers of inflation are the pandemic and Putin. We're seeing this everywhere. It is a global phenomenon. As I mentioned, in the UK, inflation's hit 9%. Right. In Europe, the point it's is, those over are the things you can't control. I'm talking about the things you can. Absolutely. So and how we, do you win that credibility back? Well, if we look at the things that we can control, we win credibility by taking action. This president is acting. This president galvanized the global community to do a historic release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, a million barrels a day. Leading oil market analysts this week said that action was single-handedly responsible for keeping oil prices from going up even further. Right, we are going to take action. We're going to prioritize. We're going to make clear that tackling inflation is our top economic priority. Okay, and they're going to make it clear? Well, they've made clear that it's their priority, but the question is, how are they handling it? And uh, actually, Representative James Clyburn, who is one of the people who put Joe Biden uh, in place as the Democratic nominee, he's a representative of South Carolina, the second-ranking, uh, pardon me, third-ranking member of the House and the House Democratic leadership, which is about to lose its majority, he even admitted that government spending caused or helped to cause inflation, but he doesn't blame Biden. Uh, listen, this is 13. I know how inept the previous administration was when it came to getting uh, out in front of this virus. We got ourselves into a deep hole, and in order to get out of that hole, we had to ratchet up spending. We put money in the economy. We tried to keep businesses open, try to keep uh, people with income in their pockets. And whenever you do that, you run the risk of inflating things. And what you then have to do is try to find uh, some balance in all of that. And we're searching for that balance. We'll get there. Uh, but it took some time because of the ineptness when it came to getting out in front of this virus. Uh, okay, uh, it's Putin, it's the virus. What about the spending? He admits that it helped contribute, and uh, it needs to be reconsidered and for framing the spending ahead. 
Okay, speaking of spending ahead, people spent uh, $51 million on uh, going to see the new Buzz Lightyear movie called Lightyear. But uh, that was considered something of a box office disappointment because it finished third Lightyear, third to Jurassic World Dominion, and of course to Top Gun. But is it worth seeing the new movie Lightyear? Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Buzz Lightyear came alive as a heroic toy in the hugely successful Toy Story series. But now he's a fully human cinematic hero in an animated spectacular from Disney Pixar called inevitably Lightyear. Now playing in theaters everywhere. Ready, Captain Lightyear? Ready as I'll ever be, Commander Hawthorne. This is exciting. A new adventure. To infinity. And beyond. Well, Buzz, voiced by Chris Evans, may now travel beyond infinity, but he does rocket through time, aided by three generations of an appropriately heroic Space Ranger family. The animation is eye-popping and spectacular, delivering both thrills and deeply moving characterizations. It's rated an appropriate PG, and don't be put off by the controversy concerning a fleeting reference to a gay marriage and kiss most very young viewers won't even notice or question. Four stars for light year a triumph of science fiction and animation uh it is uh, a good movie and i think most people and that this has been uh, the reports from uh people who monitor it. most people are seeing it or enjoying it a great deal the uh I- entire uh argument about uh having a a character who in a very fleeting scene it turns out is uh, in love with and then married to another woman and they raise a child and the grandchild of that child or the the child of that child becomes a a partner in adventure with Buzz Lightyear. The idea that this is a a powerful message in the movie I think goes too far. Uh, People enjoy it. Next time on the Medved Show, reports about political violence on the rise. Political violence of the left, certainly, and of the right. Uh, How do we cope with it? And seven presidential...